0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.
1: Are people with PTSD more likely to experience high strangeness? Are alien greys actually parasites? Are about are about dead people or are they about dead people or is it about time? Hello and welcome to the 117th 17th or sorry 1000th 17th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WOON AM and FM radio here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and uh tunein and uh, tunein.com I'm sorry not tunein that that's no longer a thing on YouTube I'm Ben and Paul is with us today as well coming to us via Skype
0: I'm quiet, but I'll be here.
1: There he is. And with us today we have Michael Cameron, who grew up in the uh, east end of London, uh, but his childhood and teen years were far from average. Uh, he seemed to attract and concentrate uh, paranormal energy, quantum entanglement, or uh, whatever else you wish to call it. Uh, his early life was filled with paranormal entities and alien encounters, which later uh, attracted the attention of governments. Uh, last year, Michael was diagnosed with complex PTSD, uh, and he has just published his first book, *High Strangeness: A Lifetime of Alien and Paranormal Encounters*.
2: Michael Cameron, welcome to *Behind the Paranormal*. Thank you. It's very nice to be here, and thank you for inviting me on.
1: Well, it's 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 great to have you. So I guess we'll uh, we'll we'll just start off uh, by jumping right into the deep end. So, Michael, uh, this is the central question of your book why you
2: yeah indeed why indeed
1: um, so why so why you what, what is what is your your opinion why do you think all of this occurred
2: well I think it's a combination of events um, from being um sensitive to various types of energies, but also I believe my mum was uh, an abductee. she had her own experiences um, during the war and um, after the war but it's something she never really spoke about Um growing up in a I grew up in a strict Irish Roman Catholic environment and family um, and you know back in them times the, the people never Never really spoke about anything like this, um, so you know it's very possible. This is one of the reasons why people are you know are taken or become abductees from these otherworldly sources.
1: So, what is the significance of? Well, this, it's probably not a great way to start this question, but I already started, I guess. So, what is the significance of, of the uh, of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and and how has that Affected the experiences, or or is it sort of a um, a symptom of the experiences?
2: I think it's um, a reaction to them after the aftermath of you know the of the uh, effects of this. I mean, when you're experiencing this type of phenomena, it's not so much about seeing you know spirits or seeing uh, a UAP or, you know, lights in the sky, it's having a, a close interaction with um, this type of phenomena, and also when it's, you know, much more, um, I guess, you know, more violent. Um, you know, some of the experiences I had with these particular type of beings, you know, it wasn't any way benevolent. You know, it was sometimes bordering on torture. Um, you know, you're paralyzed, you can't move, you can't shout out, um uh, uh, it's also the effects of you know no one believes you um so it's it's um you know I, I experience flashbacks i have nightmares i cannot sleep and i haven't done for years decades even with the lights off um you know it's it's um it, it stays with you mm. for the rest of for the rest of your life i mean it's it, it's it's not something that you want. I mean, people say to me, oh, you know, you should be lucky, Michael, you've been chosen, or you're special. But I always emphasize on each of my talks that I, I, I don't think I'm special. I don't believe I was chosen um, for anything in particular, other than the fact that, you know, from since I've been, you know, four years old, um, having these interactions with these type of beings that I don't really want. Um, You know, I just don't want them. But uh, but you can't seem to stop them. There's nothing you can do to stop, you know, being taken.
1: Mm. So I guess that that does kind of lead me to a question that that was forming as you were speaking, which is, you know, what... I feel like we should probably get some examples out of the way first. So tell us a little bit about about your experience, and then we can kind of, you know, take... Dissect it if you feel comfortable, you know, sharing sharing any of your experiences.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, as I said in my book, I grew up in a, a school. I grew up in the grounds of a school, uh, a, a junior school, which I attended with my brother Sean, who I mentioned. I'm the youngest. Uh, my um, brothers, I have three brothers: Francis, Kevin, and Sean. Sean's two years older than me. Um, And I grew up in a a schoolhouse within these grounds, which was a Roman Catholic school. My dad was the schoolkeeper, and in the book, my my you know the narrative is primarily is focusing primarily on this location. This is where, from an early age, and uh, as a teenager, that I experienced this various types of phenomenon. Um, And one of the experiences I had at the time was during the summer holidays. Um, with Sean We were we were decided to go over Into the school itself To um, you know just have a game It was the summer holidays And my dad had been in the school With the cleaners um, And he You know he'd come home And have some a bite to eat with my mum Before returning to the school um, But so me and Sean went into the school And we were in the school In the hall it's In the uh, corridor sorry of the school and um, we decided to play a game of hide and seek. So I went off to count. Uh, sorry, I went off to hide, and she went off to count. And on this particular occasion, it was um, he was counting, and and he stopped suddenly. And I wasn't sure if he was trying to trick me, you know, where I was trying to get me to come out um, sooner, um, and trying to find out where I was hiding. Um, and I remember. I'd eventually come out from where I was and I see Sean standing close to where, what would be the secretary's office, um just, just adjacent to the school library. And I walked over to him and he was looking straight ahead through the doors, two doors, two, there were two swing doors that led into the school hall where, you know, the gymnasium equipment were, was, um located. And there was a piano there. Um, next to the gym cupboard and I remember Sean looking and pointing and saying you know what is it what is that and it was when I looked there was this strange looking creature just standing next to you know the piano just staring back at us you know and at the time there was no reference to what this creature was Um, because this was during the 1970s there was no reference to anything like this, you know, um, and for, you know, for a moment, again, as I talk about in the book, a lot of the time when I have these experiences, you know, we enter into an altered state of consciousness, Um, what the investigative uh, investigative researcher, British uh, researcher Jenny Randalls, often coined um, the um, Oz Factor. Where well, the immediate environment around you suddenly, in some way, changes. Um, you know, all the sounds vanish, and you know there's, there seems to be a, uh, an alteration, you know, to the environment around you. You yeah, know, for for a moment, it seemed that we lost time, um, and and it seemed what when we were looking at this creature, and it was looking back at us something did change, there was a, you know, it seems like we lost, um, you know, we lost where we were uh, in in that environment, something happened. And when we eventually did come out from this altered state, you know, as they call it, you, you know, again, it seems we were, you know, um, there was this feeling of dread, feeling of being afraid, Wanting to get away, this creature wasn't there no more. And you know, it was that at that moment that we turned and ran back to you know we were going back to the house to tell our parents. Um, But as I was explained in the book, um, there was a set of stairs that led down to two doors. We what would take us out of the school, but when we were running towards the stair that staircase, our dad was coming back into the school. So a bit of time must have passed because, you know, when we went into the school, he'd just actually become coming out of the school and going home to have a bite to eat, you know, and I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have finished it within, like, a couple of minutes. Um, and we met him anyway on the stairs, and it was Sean that spoke and said to him, you know, that there was somebody in the school hall, in the school itself, and, you, you know, and, and they wasn't human you know and i remember him looking at us you know to see if we were just messing with him you know just kidding and he could obviously see that we wasn't but we were frightened that something had scared us he wasn't sure what it was but he went off to investigate and then he told us to wait there Um, and when he did return a little while later you know he, he just told us that um there was no windows broken no windows being forced open The doors were still locked from the inside, and he couldn't find anyone anywhere. So, you you know, we and what this creature looked like, it was very tall. It was a tall, I'd say a tall grey. You know, it had a big head, big black eyes. It had really long spindly arms, you know, um, and legs. But it was was really odd just to see this standing. It was surreal, really, standing in this particular location. <laughs> next to a piano. Um and, you know, I remember him telling us to go back home and just to, again, you know, just to play close to the house. I mean, his, you know, his reaction wasn't, I guess, you know, what I'd think it would be at the time. Mm. And, and there was this particular theme with our parents though, that when we were telling them things, it wasn't like they were, in a way, not so much shocked. It was almost like, you know, if I was looking back now, I would say they probably were familiar with it in some way.
0: Yeah, that's the impression I got from the book. Uh, And also you mentioned uh, at least one abduction, probably more, where your brother Sean is sleeping in the room and he's oblivious. It's only happening to you. Are you the brother who had the most experiences?
2: As far as I'm aware I am yes um, but as I say as I explain as well um, you know I don't I can't say with my hand on my heart if Sean went on to have other experiences because we're not very close um, and um, you know and he never spoke about it but it, it's possible that you know when he was acting up uh, as a teenager and a young man he um, he, he this could again could be PTSD. Um, if, if these are experiences carried on for him, you know, if you can't talk about it, what do you do? You know, you you uh, there are other ways, I suppose, of dealing with trauma.
1: Yeah, I guess that is th- true. Oh. I'm sorry, oh, Dad.
0: That, Ben. I was going to ask, what's the very first experience you remember, Michael?
2: My first one was when I was four years old with Sean again um this was an experience we had together we were out again it was in the summer holidays um in the school grounds we were playing just on the green which was just adjacent to the house where what would be the kitchen we were playing having a kick around with a football you know what would be I guess soccer um and we were playing football for a little while um, and then Sean suggested we go off and uh you know, have a walk around the school grounds. I mean, the dad again, he was, um, you know, having a bite to eat. It was, um, you know, we went off and we walked down this grassy slope, which, you know, which is in the school grounds, and we went and we walked again towards where this location was, of the school hall, funny enough, and it was on the outside of the... It was on. It was actually on a a raised platform. So there was a staircase, stone staircase, and then the platform that went up to a second staircase. Um, And I remember being down the down the bottom of the staircase, and I was actually kneeling down with my back to Sean because he went up onto the first platform, or the very first staircase. And I was actually looking at red fire ants. I remember. playing around with them um, with a stick and um, I remember Sean calling over to me and I turned around and I went to him and he was pointing up at the sky you know this was in a very busy weekday in London so there was a lot in, in the actual area of uh, the the school itself there was lots of warehouses that of you know, that were lots of activity going on in broad daylight. Um, and, um, there was a, there was also a busy, in the area of London where I was, it's one of the busiest police stations in London. It's still, was, it's still operational to this day, funny enough. Um, and, um, but on this particular day, when he called me, um, I looked in the direction to what he was looking and I could see, you know, there was this, strange looking metallic object in the sky you know it's what we would now call you know um, a daylight disc classical uh flying saucer um and it was just moving science you know silently but slowly um in the sky and it was gradually coming closer and closer to where we were actually standing looking at it and again you know it's we had again we had this altered state of consciousness um, well that's why as i describe it anyway um and you know again we're missing time but when when again when we come back from wherever we've been um you know i was i was conf- feeling confused disorientated um and uh, my heart was actually beating really fast and i felt afraid and, and uh, You know, Shung at the time, though, he hadn't come back from this. He was still in this trance-like state. And he was just staring at the sky. The object was no longer there. Um, And I remember it was only when they called out to him, called his name several times, that he snapped out of this trance. Uh, You know, and it was then that I basically decided to run for it. So... I just wanted to get out of that that location. I didn't want to be there. I, I just had a, f- a feeling that, it, you know, something had happened. I couldn't explain what it was. I and mean, when again, we, ru- we were running back to the schoolhouse, and whilst we were running, we were looking at the sky, you know, to see if we could see, I guess, this object. I remember I was doing it. I remember when I was looking back at Sean, he was doing it too. So we wasn't communicating at that time. We were just looking... Um, you know, I guess just out of, you know, something you would do. But, and then we run into the house, and I remember we run into the, through the kitchen door quite abruptly, you know, and, and Dad told us off because we scared our mum, because <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. And then, you know, Shung decided, you know, to tell them what had happened. but But their reaction was quite, you know, I would say unusual. In that, they, you know, I mean, a lot of parents would say, oh, you know, don't say that Or don't make that up, or don't be silly But it wasn't like that, it was just almost they looked at each other They didn't say nothing, they just looked at each other But then Dad just told us, oh, you know, it's nothing, everything will be okay And just go and play, go back on the field and play football we just stay close to the house where they can see us But, you know, that was that But it was much later on that Kevin, you know, told me you know, as an adult, that these type of things were still spoken of uh, by our parents, you know, in the background, out of here's shot of me and Sean, I guess. But as I explained, Francis and Kevin were a lot older than me and Sean. So there was a lot more said, I guess, in front of them than with me and Sean. But it's interesting that it was, you know, it was spoken of. And the thing is, I never really spoke about it back then, but it was always something that I remembered, so, when I wrote this book, I had these marker memories that was you know so clear as though they were just happened yesterday and I guess with the emotion and what had happened and my own thoughts and feelings on that you, you know I was able to then create this um, you know put this into a book and um, and and share it with you
1: now there's a really interesting um I wanted to bring up, which is there's evidence that your parents were experiencers too, as well. Yes. So what, Yeah, that's right. So what? What do you? Th- what kind of experiences do you think they had? Something similar to to yours, or or more along the paranormal side.
2: Well, I think my dad, my dad experienced. You know, my dad was quite down to earth, nuts and bolts kind of guy. being in the military during World War II as a flight engineer uh, in the Royal Air Force. Um, and, you know, he, every now and again, he would tell me things, you know. When I was growing up, he'd share a few things with me. And he'd say to me, you know, that when he was in Diggs, you know, before he met my mum in London, and he was staying somewhere, he would have paranormal activity where, you know, as he described it, when he was asleep in bed, the bed covers were being pulled back off of him. And he would have a, a sighting of uh, what he would say, you know, is be a, a grey woman who'd be standing in the bedroom, sometimes staring at him. Um and um he seemed to encounter this particular female, you know, ghost or spirit um on several occasions. I mean what I did describe in the book what he did tell me is once when he was coming um in from I don't know from work or whatever he was doing in and it, this woman that being at the top of the stairs, staring at him, and basically floated down towards him. You know, I did say, you know, it's quite interesting that she looked grey. Um, it was, you know, was dressed in grey, as he said. Um, and, it, you, you know, I don't know really what that was. I can only really go by what he told me. But he, he did have a, another experience that in the school grounds. He was telling me once that... Um, up in where the nursery would have been, uh, there was some gates there, and he was going to, you know, at the end of the day, when the school had closed, he was he used to go around and make sure that lo- all the gates were locked. And I remember he said to me that he went to this particular gate, and there being a Roman soldier standing there on guard duty, but it didn't seem to be, um, he didn't seem to notice that he was there. He was you know in it was he seemed like he was just playing that part you know maybe from back a long time ago um and and the you know he said he just looked at this garden and after a while it just disappeared but you know but take into account though no, the in the area of London I was born in it's actually built on uh, um the Roman cemeteries so you know up on one side as i um you know from where my house was if you walked say 10 to 15 minutes one way you'd be in the tower of london um and if you walked the other way you'd be in um the city of london but in this area of london it had a you know a really rich dark history <coughs> it was also the area you know of uh, jack the ripper the infamous uh you know what would be a, I guess a serial killer but it, in this, yeah, so with, and with my mum, you know, she she described a, a time when she was evacuated to Eryford in the countryside during World War Two, And she was staying in a, a, on the outside building, you know, on her own. And she described an event once when she was, you know, she'd woken up from her sleep, something. She felt the room, something was wrong with the room she was in. She felt there was a presence there. Um, and she said there was something that rose up from the rear of the bed. Um, And, you know, when I asked her what it looked like, you know, she described it as being grey, with, again, a large head, dark eyes. And, you know, she was quite frightened. She didn't know what it was. Um, And she put the covers over her head, you know, like you do, thinking it's going to go away. Um, And then she pulled them down, and it was still there. And then, you know, she... She eventually went to sleep and but you know um or she fell asleep, and when she woke up, you know it, it was morning, and she didn't know what it was, so i I think she did have experiences but i'm'm not, I'm not sure what else she had they as I said, they didn't really speak about things much
1: mm. that is really interesting, and this this might be something we'll bring up um in the the next portion of the hour because we are coming up. To our mid-show break, um, and there's a really interesting statistic that um, that parents who have who have you know any sort of traumatic event happen to them, it'll carry over to their children, and their children will also experience traumatic events. So if you experience something traumatic, yeah, there's a very high likelihood that your children will also experience something traumatic. It doesn't really matter what the event is; it, it's just something similar. Now you can make the argument that perhaps it's well you know you know nature versus nurture perhaps it's the way you're raised the patterns of behavior that you <laughs> learned etc but that is but nonetheless you know it's not really like you learn to experience paranormal phenomena right or maybe you do i don't know that's something that we're going to talk about in the next portion of the hour so you're listening to behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WON AM and FM radio here in Winsocket's Blackstone River Valley and we will be right back Right after this.
3: Hi everybody, this is Linda Thibault for Aging Well in Woonsocket, inviting you all to a fun and special way to help us with our work at the Gaston A.R. Junior Senior Center. Join us for dinner and laughter as the famous Charlie Hall presents his hilarious look at aging well called Aging Disgracefully. What's more, Aging, disgracefully, is at 4.30 in the afternoon on a Friday, October 20th. No nighttime driving. Seating at the Senior Center Hall on Social Street is limited, so get your tickets today. Thanks to the generous financial support of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island, the tickets are only $30 for an afternoon of salad, dynamites, dessert, friends, and laughter you will never forget. Aging Disgracefully supports the health and wellness programs of Aging Well, Inc.
0: Local and live at 99.5 FM.
3: Hello and welcome back to
1: Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from uh, WON AM and FM radio here in Woonsocket's beautiful Blackstone River Valley here on this nice, crisp fall day. And so we're going to get right back to our guest, uh, Michael Cameron. And we're talking about um growing up with... uh paranormal experiences whether it's ufo's uaps anything anything related to ghosts whether it's ghostly roman soldiers or or something something in the like and now there's now that we've we've kind of discussed a little bit about the the background you know i think it's important to kind of get into the why the the function you know how does it affect you to this day and um there's one really interesting thing that i wanted to bring up which is um you know your your event your your event with with graves, right? So, what convinced you that um, the graves who took you were parasitical? And could you tell us a little bit about that event?
2: Well, I think it's because of the way they you know they interact with you. You know, as I say, a lot of the time, you know, I it was it's when they come into you and what they do to you. I mean the, the they're obviously not good of good intent because they come into you a lot of the time in the night time, you know, when everyone's asleep. Um, it's, I guess it's, you know, when you're asking them to stop, they they're not they don't respond to you in a in a positive way. It seems they carry on with whatever they're doing. You know, I mean, someone did ask me in another podcast, you know, one of the hosts, you know, do I do they think they were evil? Do they think that they are Were intentionally going out of their way to hurt me, you know. And you know that's a good question as well because you know some people and researchers describe you know the Greys as being you know in some ways being controlled by another um, by another race. So they're carrying out the the duties or tasks of this other race. So in a way, almost like a robot. So they don't have any emotions. So may not respond inclined to to anyone that's asking them to stop they're just carrying out orders and getting on with that job so you know that i thought that was an interesting question and it's obviously one that you have to take into consideration as well
1: well there's another side of the coin too which is you know i've, I've brought this up to to many uh, a researcher in time which is you know if these if these beings are entirely alien right You know that would mean they're nothing like us in any way, shape, or form, right? You know what's to say they have the same moral code or 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 ethical structure that we do, because you know it's so it's very easy to say, well, you know they're benevolent, oh they're you know they they care about us, they want to help the environment. Why would they care? You know what would what would be why would they why would they care about nuclear war? You know why if they're something completely other to us you know how could we even understand their motives at all you know and mm. i think that that's that's an, another side of the coin because it's like sure yeah you know they they could be experimenting on you but what's what's the point what's the purpose and and i think that that's that's a harder question to answer in my opinion you know what what say you
2: yeah it is i mean it is very difficult i mean This is one of the, you know, one of the biggie questions, I guess, with the alien abduction phenomenon. You know, why do they take particular people? For what purpose? You know, we know that they, there seems to be a hybrid program going on. You know, where they're taking um, babies, um, maybe, maybe creating a, you know, um, a different race of beings that are very similar to us. Maybe to infiltrate society. You know, these are just opinions of other people, just thoughts. Um, I think there's there's no real proof. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think we're still looking for that that answer to that question on why, why you know, what's the real reason behind all this? I don't think we. I don't think we still. I don't think we know, and I don't think we're any nearer to getting that answer. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as well. It, and there's there's something we were, we were talking a little bit about before before the show, um, and it, it was this idea. I, I think a lot of the paranormal comes down to you know doesn't matter what field it is, it, it's the subject object problem at the end of the day. And we have an objective reality, and we're subjects that are experiencing that reality. And there's a third party up there somewhere that informs our experience of that objective reality. And sure. there was there was something I wanted to bring up earlier. I'd I, you know wanted to get get a kind of background with your experiences in there first before we we really hopped into it. Which is, and you kind of alluded to this a bit. What is your reaction to, um, you know, say say you're you're giving a talk, you're on a podcast, and, and someone says, well, you know. They're trying to help you. You know, what if it's a positive experience that that you've had when very obviously it's negative. You know, you you've experienced the effects of it for years. You know, what is your reaction to saying, "Well, you know, people have positive experiences."
2: It's true, though. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say to you that people don't have positive experiences. I do believe they do have positive experiences, and I think if they do, that's really good. You know, no one wants a (laughs) no one wants a negative one, um, but. There's a you know there's a difference between you, you know when something's been positive you you know if I'm sticking needles in your hand and you're not having a you know I don't think you're going to have a good experience from that as opposed to some of these you know caressing in your hand you know I think it's the intentions and uh, you know of and obviously the feeling uh, from what you're getting from that you know if you're getting someone knocking on your door and introducing themselves to you you know. That may not necessarily be a, a bad experience, you know, as opposed to somebody coming through the walls of your room or coming through the windows and then, you know, paralyzing you and subjecting you to various sorts of, um, you know, um, you know, activities for me that border on torture,
0: mm. um,
2: you know, and burning your inside your mouth with a, a wand-like instrument while you're paralyzed. And, you know, you can't shout out. I wouldn't consider that to be positive experience. And I think, you know, I think it's foolish for anyone to say, suggest that it is, you know, unless you've had that experience yourself. I would say probably, you know, try to be a little bit more, um, intelligent about it.
0: Mm.
2: Michael, in the book, you mentioned
0: that you had invisible friends. As a child, well, despite was that a positive experience, or did they turn out to be something
2: else? Well, it was my parents that could, you know, that, that were, you know, that believed I had the invisible friends, I guess, to try to understand what it was uh, or reason what I was happening, having at the time. I mean, during when I was a child, I did have, you know. Um, there was a a man and a woman that used to come to visit me. Um, You know, sometimes they would just appear. Um, And, you know, I didn't know what they were back then, but, you know, when I was much later on, you know, I I realized through, you know, classical, I guess, ufology, that these the individuals that I see at the time were those that you would call Nordics, the Nordic times, you know, the the tall, blondes. Uh, piercing blue eyes you know um and you know almost like body hugging uniforms, athletic builds, but these you know it, but although I did have these you know i as in my book i do there is a question mark i in a way that I put across this these type of experiences with these particular beings I do know through you know um ufology. A uh, Lots of people, especially contactees, that have had these type of experiences with these particular type of beings often describe it as being positive. Uh, experience, I would have to say for myself, it would be, I would say 50-50. I'm not sure if it was or not, only because, you know, when I had these experiences after they'd left, I had, a again, a gain of feeling that something untowards had happened that may not have been so positive i can't say consciously what that was it's just an underlining feeling you know i also had the fear of running away from where they had been in that location i was very afraid very frightened and you know i'm not sure if that could be um because of not understanding something and being afraid of that, what you don't understand, or wasn't more to it than that. I mean, I did I did say as well, you know, I had these particular beings first, and it was a little while later, when they you know, suddenly vanished, that I started to have my encounters with the, you know, what we call the Graves. That's a
0: very sensible answer.
2: Uh, go ahead, Ben.
0: So I
1: I I, I want to bring up something because I I was discuss I had this discussion um with a with a, a friend of mine recently because uh, you know it's almost Halloween here and so we you know I was I was people were asking me questions or whatever where I was and so I was I was kind of explaining um my sort of theories and changes and in, in nuances and in, in my experiences over the years and there was this really interesting point that came up that i was really considering a few years back um uh my dad was and i were supposed to uh, assist a a local quote unquote local um you know pop paranormal team but my dad ended up bowing out last second so I had to go and um i went <laughs> and you know i did the i did the whole i okay. did the whole the whole gambit whatever I, we don't usually work with people you know i was just kind of doing my thing and i was i was interviewing um the the homeowner in the case and I was like, Well, you know, when did this all start, et cetera et cetera? And it turned out she was having having issues with her with uh one of her children. And um the the kid had uh barricaded himself, you know, in a part of the house with his girlfriend and they were doing all sorts of um untoward things and and it was in you know, she was like, Well, that's kinda when all this started <laughs> and I was like, Well, you know unfortunately it's like you know getting rid of the ghost in your house isn't really going to do it the, the problem is that it's like you know i'm i'm not a family counselor and i made sure to tell her that up front like look i'm not a, i'm not a licensed therapist i'm not a counselor but I, I think you should you should try and find one because most most of the problems are are the people are are haunted not not the places um because it's it's typically yeah. at at the risk of sounding like a, a um like this is all you know psychological right because it's not we we know that it affects the environment we know that these these things affect the world around us but we're not you know passive bystanders we we participate in the experience and um and we we participate in it by sort of what we bring to the experience is what we get out of it and not to say it's anybody's fault that this is happening, right? Cause, you know, you didn't ask for any of these things to happen to you. But there's, there's sort of this link between ourselves and the experience. And especially if there's something traumatic there, you know, or, or some sort of disorder or, or some, some, some sort of, you know, dysfunctional thing happening there that, that can sort of exacerbate the phenomena have you have you found that you know your experiences over time things have kind of gotten escalated, or even you know dynamics with with families, friends, and any anything that's kind of escalated these experiences.
2: Well, you know, it's. I think you know in the in the um, in the beginning, you know, it's it's difficult to pinpoint that on. I know where you. I know where you're coming from. What you're saying, but it's, you know, it's difficult to pinpoint that on a you know if it's a um, a baby or a child that's having having interactions in this way, mm. um, because you know um, there's no problems there, is there in, in them times? Well, going unless forward. it's
1: with the with the the parents or other people around. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's yeah, it's going forward. But you know, with my experiences, you know, my experiences have not been good. But at the same time, you know, as you go through life, it's what you, it's what you do with them and how you, you know, how you in some ways transform that negativity and what you're feeling inside yourself. You know, I, I wrote the book because hmm. it's very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. It was very helpful for me to process a lot of these emotions, which were difficult when I was writing the book. You know, there's sometimes there's a lot of tears and a lot of this emotion coming up and it, but you know, writing the book helped me because, and I think it would help many people that even, you know, if they're writing it in a journal um, to get these thoughts and these feelings out um, and putting them down onto paper. But for me, you know, it helped me. I had a difficult time with my dad when I was growing up. Um, You know, we were just different. um, But, when I was writing the book, it helped me to process those those emotions. It helped me to see him in different ways. Um, you know, the memory of him. He died when I was 15, mm. coming into 16. Um, you know, he was vi- very violent. Um, and, um, you know, for a, a long time, you know, it, it was difficult dealing with that part of my life. You know, I had a lot happened. When he died, and, you know, I had two aunt, aunts that died, and my dog died, all in the same time period. And at the same time, I was having these really bizarre experiences that I, sorry, that I didn't understand. <laughs> that I didn't understand, that I, I didn't have anywhere to go with it. I mean, if, at best, you know, as I described in my book, what happened with the doctor? um, And, um, or even with the priests, you know, it, so... But when I wrote this book, I was able to process it. I was able to start to heal myself, and I was able to forgive my dad for the experiences that I encountered with him. Um, and you know going forward it's it's trying to again, it's trying to understand the phenomena um, and and trying to you know trying to heal yourself through this. it, it doesn't it, even though I've had negative experiences. You know, it doesn't mean I have to, you know, dive into the ditch, so to speak. Well, Michael, uh, tell us about the book, where people can get it. Yeah, the book is available on Amazon. It's on paperback. It's on hardcover. cover. It's on uh, Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, and it's now on the audio book. Um, and it's available. It's available there.
1: Well, I gotta say that's that's you know that uh, you know it's very it take it takes a lot to kind of put yourself out there and and make and write a book about your experiences, especially you know something so so hard. So I, I you know I'm very you're very brave you know, and I I I can really respect that. And it's thank you. It's um, and it's true you know a lot of these experiences are very personal you know, and they're they're very. It, it can be it can be tough to express them because a lot of people just you know they they weren't there right they didn't they didn't experience what you experienced and it's and it's very yeah and I, th- I think the per- the personal reality of of it is is something that can be kind of missed in in the paranormal usually it's like you get you get stuck on the oh wow they saw like a spooky lady in a hallway and it's like well how did you how how did the person who experienced it to deal with it because it does sure. you know it does take years to kind of you know deal with these experiences i mean you know i i know that firsthand it it's like you know some stuff that happens it's like you know even if it is positive right you know there's you, you use this word um before to kind of i'm i'm going to butcher it cuz i can't remember the exact word you used but it sounds like you were saying the word discernment almost of your experiences kind of you know sure. think, think thinking about them in in a way that you know you can kind of process it or analyze it a little bit better
0: so along come men in black and government interest in our last few minutes, can you say something
2: about that? Michael? Yeah, sure. I mean when um, when me and Sean experienced this particular entity or being in the in you know, the school hall, it was only a little while after that. I myself, whilst I was alone in the house, um my mum and dad and Song had been in the garage, uh, which was you know just adjacent to the to the uh, the house. They were laying tiles at the time. I was in the house alone. This was a wintry night, um, and you know when I was I was as I describe it, I, was, I had an encounter with one uh, man in black. I didn't know who or <laughs> what it was. Um, I was you know again. I was frightened, you know, because there was nobody else in the house with me. You know, all all the doors were locked. I know the kitchen door was locked because I locked it myself. Um, and so, yeah, this was an experience, first of all. I, had. I It wasn't the last time I would have encounters with these particular, um, you know, MIBs. I, I did have one, actually, um, in 2017 in the United States, in New Mexico, when I was over there visiting I had a um, a black car following me and eventually when it did stop and two MIB type individuals got out of the car and was watching me. Um, this is something I will put in my in book two. Uh, um, so yeah, I did have I've had experiences with these. Um, and I am you know what would be described as a is a, a my lab, which is a military abductee. Um, This is something I will go on to speak about in a lot more detail on other podcasts. Um, And in book two, I'll talk more about my memories in regards to the military projects and programs. Um, uh, You know, I haven't got all the answers, but I will certainly be talking more about them and what I've, you know, began to piece together and what I've been told about some of the activities I've been involved with Okay, we have a question here
0: from Jim. And I think uh, we have just a minute to talk about it. Um, gee, bet I wish I... Uh, bet I'm going to put this in the chat, and you could read it. I'll never sure. get through it. You can uh, take a second here. Yeah? Yes, sir.
1: Let me uh, take a gander here at the question, uh, whenever it comes in.
0: Stay sure. Yeah, I'm... Uh...
1: We, do, we do love taking those questions. Ah, and waiting for it. And for all those that can...
0: All right. Sorry to hold things up. There we go.
1: There we are. Lovely. Okay. Oh, boy. If my mouse decides to cooperate. Uh, do do Uh, ah, here it is. Uh, so the, the question, the, uh, comment, which I believe, uh, starts with, uh, there it is. Uh, since his parents may have, uh, been abducted, it is possible that he made an agreement prior to his birth with the ETs, uh, to be abducted. If he is abducted again, he can tell them, uh, that he now rescinds any, uh, pre-incarnative agreement to be abducted uh, they would ha- then have to return him or else uh, they would be violating his free will uh, which is a major violation on a universal level basically they would uh love <coughs> excuse me polarity if uh, they violate uh, someone's free will free will Uh, violations are the main reason that ets don't land they are both negative and positive entities who are in a thought war for earth the thought wars are are fought through dreams abductions and telepathy the positive ets carry out a quiet campaign the negative ets are uh from the orion star uh primarily and he may or may not have had an agreement with them uh, but if he did this uh this statement to them would work thanks uh for always putting on a good radio show
0: well,
2: there you go, Michael. Yeah, I understand that. The uh, the information he's talking about doesn't work in regards to these type of projects and programs. The abduction phenomena is nothing new. It's not modern. It's been going on since biblical times. This is their playground, and they play in it regardless of the rules. They're not interested in natural law. I understand about natural law. Um, it does work in... What what you're saying does work in some instances. The contracts, I I do understand about the contracts. The contracts are not made with these particular beings. I have contacts and information from ascended-type masters and angelic forces um, outside of the body. What they've told me is that these particular beings are a menace. They are breaking natural law. Um there are no agreements made between them between them prior to birth. Um, but what you will find is, is, you know, um sometimes I've been told I've been told with these particular um abduction programmes that the same type of individuals are re abducted over and over and over again for centuries um the contracts we have we do have a contract with them but it's not a um it's not an agreed contract
1: i do think that that's an interesting idea i've actually never heard that before um until today um i i just i you know i don't want to i don't want to discount anyone's experience i've you know as someone who has never experienced it before, right? You know, it's that's just my first time hearing that, so it's a little little new to me to be be able to comment on it or even consider it, you know.
2: But even though, even though I'm saying that though, it, it's not written, you know. It, it, it's not written. Um, it, it's not. It may not be true. It's just what I've had from outside of the body, you know. Mm. It's something to consider but for myself you know again you know we need a lot more research to be done in this particular field rather than just saying you know one thing or another we need a lot more scientific evidence um you know to be able to make a um you know a proper decision or you know have a, a bigger picture
1: yeah no, i i kind of agree with that because there's there's so much You know, there's so many, you know, narratives out there and subjective experiences that it's, you know, it's hard to catalog all of it and be able to kind of break down the data points.
2: I mean, you know, we need more, we need more academics. We need more scientific people in the field, you know, and… Agreed. um, Because this is the only way we're going to get to the bottom of it, you know. We got, we got people like myself that have the experiences. I do research in the background as well, investigative research, but at the same time we need a lot more professionals on board. We, you know, this is the reason, you know, why to make an informed decision, you know, we, we need to have more evidence to study. Yeah. Very good. Michael, thank you so much.
0: Uh, the sincerity of your book comes across on the air as well. Thank and you. we will stay in touch, and best of luck with your work.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that, and
0: thank you for your kind words. Okay, Ben, uh, take it away. Yes, sir.
1: So, uh, we have coming up uh, the 2023 uh, Western Connecticut UFO Conference that's presented by the Danbury Library. Uh, that will take place virtually and in person on October 27th to the 29th. Events will begin on this show next week, October 22nd, uh, with special guests, uh, Michael Carter, uh, Reverend Michael Carter of Ancient Aliens and, uh, live audience interactions. Connections, uh, with the library will, uh, be via Zoom. Uh, register at danburylibrary.org and registration is free. And the Greater New England UFO slash Bigfoot Conference is back. Uh, This will be a one-day event on November 19th at the Veterans Memorial Center in Lemonster, Massachusetts. You can watch for more information on that. You can visit our show website as well. That's BehindTheParanormal.com where you can find nearly uh, 1,200 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on W O O N A M AM, and FM. You can also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast po- platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. And you can download our show app. It's free at BehindTheParanormal.com. And you can browse our books, along with those of our guest co-hosts. Our uh, website has a uh, charity page as well with links to several good causes that we've adopted over the years, including Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, Helping Hades Orphans, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. And so next week uh, we have, uh, that's uh, October 22nd, as we mentioned, we'll simulcast with the uh, Western Connecticut UFO Conference uh, taking place at the Danbury, Connecticut uh, Library uh, with special guest Reverend Michael Carter of Ancient Aliens. And uh, like I said, if you would like to register to be a part of this and ask questions of Reverend Michael Carter, you can register at Danbury Library. Again, registration is free. And we leave you with an interesting thought from American author, uh, Teal Swan. We do not fear the unknown. We fear what we think we know about the unknown. I'm Ben Eno.
0: I'm Paul Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this
2: radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of...